You're tuned in to the MTGG Cable Cast, 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 where they cover magic, the gathering finance. All right? You don't know about it? You're tuned in right now and get ready to learn some shit. Buckle your seatbelts and light a blunt and get ready for the MTG Cable Cast, 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 starring Reptar and Thirsty, them onion head motherfuckers. Hey guys, welcome to the newest episode of the Cabal Cast. And this week, kind of a special review episode because uh, I think this was a product we were both actually kind of excited for, which is not something we do very often. So we're taking a look at Ravnica Remastered. What was the feedback like that we received? How do we feel about it? Is it a good set? I think so, but let's take it away. Yep. So overall, uh, the set was pretty mired in what is available from just a card variety standpoint. Like, there's just a ton of stuff in the set. It doesn't seem terribly cohesive. feels kind of like you would expect in a remaster set, a little, you know, mystery boostery. But from what I've heard from players, it is super fun and enjoyable. So it seems like going back to the well continuously for well-designed multicolored sets is just a recipe for success. If you look back recently at how enjoyable the Just Cons of Tarkir draft was on Arena, like, incredibly successful. People really enjoyed it because it was a well-designed, multicolored format. And Ravnica being the first one of these sets after leaving Dominaria, you know, kind of gets that shine compared to Lorwyn, which is just sitting on the sidelines, sadly. And now Cons is getting its glow up. Um, yeah. And I think at this point in time, I don't think people really have a, a tie to Lorwyn like they, sorry, uh, Ravnica like they used to. I think now they just expect... We've been there too much. <laughs> yeah. I think they just kind of expect to be a well-designed, multicolored set. It's just going to be this kind of soupy set because we've been there, like you said, so much. We've discovered so much of that plane it's changed so much over time and now we're just kind of getting the remastered sets which is just the greatest hits and that's kind of what yep. Ravnica has <clears throat> ascended to I think Innistrad prior ascended to kind of a greatest hit status will we go back to the well maybe or the murders at Karlov Manor and the uh, the set after this one that's based on uh, like horror tropes yeah. could be homages to Innistrad like we talked about but everybody that I talked to seemed to have a great time. They started, some of them, the Wednesday before pre-release on Arena. And then as soon as they could draft in paper, they moved to paper. And they drafted for the week or two that the set was available at LGSs. And they enjoyed it. I think the highlight was for two players opening an Arclight, Arclight Phoenix and playing a deck that one said, quote, felt like standard. Yeah, And I saw a photo that was uh, Red Spell that doesn't matter to light up the stage, Arc Like Phoenix. Just, yeah, sure. You're going to get there. And you can't really trigger Arc, Arc Light Phoenix too well, but you can just play a really good value deck in those colors. And it just seemed like the people who can draft this format had an amazing time with it. And the only real complaint is that it seems that as quick as it came, it left. Yeah. So my my LGS didn't do anything for it this past weekend, which is basically the last weekend of the set. Instead, they moved over to a festival in the box, 
and they did an, an eight-person event for that instead of running back another RVR draft weekend. And I think that's great. Yeah. Let the players have some time to breathe, go back to LCI for a couple minutes, and then move over to murders. Yeah. I For you? It, yeah, we so our pre-release was one of our most attended pre-releases in a very long time. Uh, we're also the only premium store within like an hour or two radius, so that definitely helped. But there were literally people that came from 45 minutes away because they wanted to play in Ravnica Remastered. Some of them literally admitted they hadn't played for three or four years, mm -hmm. but they got into Magic when Ravnica first came out. So it was a huge nostalgia thing for them. So I think it's safe to say that, you know, understandably, we knew this set was probably going to be a roaring success at first. Yeah. Um, similar, though, the question was, you know, after that first month, what's going to happen? Well, we actually still have the draft boosters in stock. We're still running drafts for it but we've started having to mix it up with LCI because it's not that people got sick of the environment necessarily. Yep. It's that the people who have switched are grinders and they don't care about it because it's not a product that they engage with at all That's right. on any level that they have to. Yeah. Uh, I will say our EDH players could not have been happier about this product because retro border shocklands And like I mentioned a couple weeks ago with the original art, uh, the thing that's really interesting to see about this, and this is something that I most of the vendors I know are actually kind of split on, uh, the fact that it seems like retro border shocks, foil or non, uh, you get one of them per collector pack is what it's averaged out to from people that crack collector packs for singles. Yep. The split is, is that good or bad for Magic? Because shocks have kind of been your affordable entry point into like a more competitive mana base for edh yeah and if that 10 to 20 dollar bill that those cards were was where you were making your bread and butter it's going to be a whole lot harder to make that when they're a five dollar bill yep. which could be what they trend towards if we get another printing or something like that because who knows what they're going to do just before christmas to drum up sales but in the past, they've reprinted spring sets. So I wouldn't be surprised or Q1 winter sets if we actually see that around Christmas. And that's something that some of the vendors I know have split on is, is that good? Okay. Now, personally, man, uh, drafting Loam Control and Limited feels so good. Yeah. Uh, I haven't been this excited for a set in a very long time because, like you said, it is just like absolute bangers greatest hits of the set or sets, sets really yeah. uh and it's made for a really cool draft environment similar to one of my favorite cubes a friend of mine has a ravnica blocks cube it feels kind of like that mm -hmm. it's it's almost vrd ish kind of because of how much variety is there because of how good multicolor was in the format um but my players have been like the the more casual players have been over the moon with this product continuously yep for other people, it was what it was. A brief grab for nostalgia to get them to engage with a product that they may not otherwise engage with mm -hmm. and move on. Yeah, uh, It's probably going to be the most, I would think, outside of maybe Modern Horizons 3, the most financially successful set of the year because it's just fun. Absolutely. Uh, so Murders at Karlov Manor, 
has a release event on February 9th, so that is, I think, two weeks-ish from recording. Yeah. So th it's a very <clears throat> limited amount of time to continue running this set along yeah. LCI. My LGS doesn't seem to announce what Wednesday drafts are, but I believe Friday drafts are always the current standard set. So mm. if I had to guess, uh, like they kind of poll Wednesdays ahead of time. It's not like you show up and draft whatever we feel like. like yeah. They'll, they'll poll the players ahead of time. So if I had to guess, Wednesdays for the next couple of weeks will probably remain RVR and eventually move over to MKM once that set releases. But like you just mentioned... That's going to get confusing. Oh, for 100%. But the more competitive players... The, the grinders are going to look to continue to practice in the formats that are relevant to them. So they're going to look to play MKM. They're going to look to play more sealed. So our Friday and Saturday events will change over into what's coming up for the RCQ season. So right now we've got a couple more modern events to be firing, and then it'll, it'll be standard and sealed for the rest of the season. And moving, like I said, FNMs over to current standard set, Wednesday being the kind of like woohoo, day yeah. um the the only thing that's kind of surprised me about this set at all is the i, I think i mentioned it before the lgs i play at <clears throat> is a storefront for card titan and when they evaluate sets about when they will and won't open them it's about ev on the packs and from what i've seen it looks like the ev on these packs was so low <laughs> that card titan just didn't crack they're going to be using the buy list to to manage because i've been looking for retro shocks for my own use over the last couple of weeks through their system and they're they're not there i have i don't think they're listed on tcg player they should be both in store and tcg but it seems at least card titan has chosen not to crack rvr and just either buy what people sell back to them at the lgs or use their online buy list for this i will say for us it's a product that we didn't open at all and we don't open at the scale that like Card Titan or Star City does. We'll basically open a case or so and be like, all right, here we go. Yeah. I, we didn't even do that for this set. So even at a lower volume level for singles, yep. it's still just not worth it. And I think part of that is both the collapsing price of singles and more importantly, with a product like RVR, how much it costs. Yep. Makes it tough. Yeah, and you mentioned the, the average on shocks and collector boosters was about one per. Maybe a uh, little, yeah. Maybe a little under that. So why not let the populace at large open them for you and then buy them back? So that's kind of the only thing that's really made this set hazy, I think, Yeah. for for my LGS and Card Titan. You know, what do you want to do with that? Do we really care? The buyouts can take care of it, yes or no. Um, but other than that, I think this set did better than I expected it to from a player perspective. Ravnica yeah. has to always be this well-curated experience because the moment you falter, people are going to pitchfork you. Yep. And so that goes, I guess. But it poorly timed for me between LCI and MKM. I yeah. didn't expect this to, to drop and be as short-lived as it is for a product that was as hyped as it was. But I guess they needed it to be a flash in the pan because LCI, from what I've been seeing, is a waning draft experience. It seemed really good up front. People were really interested in it, but got bored with it over time. 
Yeah. Not to say that it was sealed. It is one of the draft formats of all time, but it is not one of the best for- draft formats of all time. Yeah. So it's nice to have that breakup come from Watsi rather than trying to have to patch it together at the LGS level and figure out, hey, well, like, what can we do to, to get this running? Um, but overall, I guess it kind of is a nice reprieve. And because it is a non-standard set, we don't have to care that MKM spoilers happened two weeks after release and then the set could possibly disappear into the Aether because it's not a standard set. It's not meant to be here. It's meant to be here and gone unless they want to do another push for it. Like you said, you, you reprint, it ends up on, on shelves, on displays, comes back as a flashback draft later on in the year when things slow down or there's a break in the schedule or one of the sets is just a rancid draft environment, like upcycle, rvr and you know you're gonna get some people to come in so it could be i don't want to say a saving grace and say and make people think that oh the l just needs it to succeed no it's more of a saving grace for players who would wane from a draft format that is medium at best yeah and i i think the important thing too as far as and i and i do want to shout this out i think it is a smart business decision that the set you used for a flash in the pan was entirely reprints and did not impact eternal formats because if it had been a modern horizons situation where we didn't get modern horizons two for how long after the first printing uh that would be very bad for the game and this is something that to me says maybe they're making better decisions yeah i know i don't say that often but i've been saying it more lately it's weird yeah the, from a financial perspective, though, I think the hype is still where it was yeah. before, which is just entirely on the shocks, and then after that, it falls yep. off a cliff. It's like, maybe it tumbles into Psychonic Rift on the way down, but after that, it just falls Wile E. Coyote-style straight into yeah. the abyss. Uh, there's really nothing else people seem to care about from, uh, from the set. There's not a lot that evokes the desire, uh, or sorry, that evokes the feeling of the chase, aside from the serialized cards. Yeah. And at that point, people are just hunting the cards they like serialized. So best of luck, I guess. But at the end of the day, the the only thing that I really have to say is, is to reiterate that it did what it needed to do. Yeah. People enjoyed it. It. it got people out to the LGS that might not have been there before because, hey, we can come out, we can draft Ravnica. I remember that set or I enjoy those sets. Yeah. It is not LCI. It's something else to do in the doldrums of winter. Cool. Like, great. Yeah, I I think this... It did what it was supposed to do, and it did something that I think indicates good design, uh, indicates, hey, we're listening to what people want, and we care about the secondary market without caring about the secondary market, mm-hmm. which they've been screaming with secret layers. But this is the first time that I think they've done a set like this, and I feel like it was done properly. Yeah, It did what it was supposed to do and nothing else. It didn't overprint anything. It got people in in a time where, you know, frankly, we're mostly glad that this came out because this is not a time of year where people come into draft. Right? Attendance is always down in Q1 winter. That's just how it is. Yep. Uh, so it was really nice to have that because it felt like a product that was designed to benefit the LGS, which we have had none of recently. Uh, and I think that's great. Yep. And for what it's worth, there. this is the, f- the third in the remastered series. The fourth will be... Uh, Lorwyn? Innistrad. 
Oh, in a Stroud, right, yeah. In January of 2025. So this actually looks like it becomes something to hang your hat on. Yeah. Why they started with Time Spiral and then went to Dominaria, not really sure. But they hit Ravnica, they hit Innistrad, and so at this point you got to expect you'll see Lorwyn, you'll probably see Mirrodin. These sets yeah. that they don't really need to go back to or want to go back to in the case of Mirrodin because something always breaks when you go back to, when you uh, invoke Mirrodin. Yeah. And it becomes, you know, an interesting talking point. One of these could absolutely fail, so in the next couple of years we could be berating one of these, but in the interim, it's doing... It's doing well. Doing the Lord's work for yeah. what, like you like you keep harping on. Lord Soren. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Which is uh, bringing in people into the LGS at a time where, generally speaking, nobody's really interested in, in coming in. So no. it's an exciting product for that reason. Uh, anything else that you noticed going on at the LGS level before we Not cut into Not really. I think it had, you know, a decent mix, like I said, of competitive players and casuals which was the first product like that in a bit but that's yep. that's the most interesting thing all right if you're ready for picks you can take it away right. so uh this week we are taking a look at the first of several pieces of equipment for commander this week we are looking at the hammer of uh nizan this came yep. in the 2017 commander decks uh the one i affectionately call cats in hats it costs four for a legendary artifact with equipped four but there's a lot of text on this. And it says, Whenever Hammer of Nazan or another equipment enters the battlefield under your control, you may attach that equipment to target creature you control. So basically, this is another copy of Sigarda's Aid. And then yep. what it actually does when it's equipped, equipped creature gets plus two, plus zero, and has indestructible. So this is just another piece of equipment that can come in. It can equip for free. So in your equipment deck, it just plays really well. And it also offers indestructibility, which is something that I talked about a lot when I was looking at uh, Mithril Coke. And we were talking about that. Those, those That keyword on a piece yeah. of equipment is always fairly sought after. Now, uh, when I added this to my list at the beginning of October, Card Kingdom was buying 91 at $3.70. They are currently buying 18 at $4.80, which is up in price but down in quantity from when I started taking my notes. When I was taking my notes, they were buying 31 and there were 209 listings on TCG Player for $4.44. There are currently 123 listings on TCG Player, LP or Betty, LP or better for about $8.16. So this card has basically been on a rocket for the last three months. And then back in November, CK's data was basically about the same. The retail. Uh, was 650 they were buying for 325 and they had eight in retail then they have an unknown quantity now they max out at eight and they just keep reloading back up to whatever quantity is so they just kind of obfuscate now when we look at this card what is it doing commander well it's existing in the combat step basically so if you are not looking to enter combat you're not going to play this but if you are you definitely should because of the indestructible keyword now, the question of how did this play, you know, writ large within the format gives this card the idea of, you know, a really wide berth of what you want to be doing with it. But in reality, you're painting this with the other pieces of equipment to kind of combo kill your opponents 
with commander damage. Sorry, pairing. That's another piece of not painting. Um, and what that allows you to do is basically just play Hammer of Nizan, dump equipment on afterwards, attach it because of the, the trigger on Hammer, suit up your commander, and then just start playing T-Swift and 21, just 21 people all day long. Now, within the dedica dedicated equipment deck, there's an ability to go a bit wide with those, and you can put some hats and pants on various creatures to do That's ship damage. And absolutely. And you can accrue value from various triggers to draw cards, untap lands. Uh, rummage is a shorthand keyword that we use for discard a card, draw a card. You know, all this kind of stuff whenever your creatures connect. So you can spread your equipment out. You can start like poking around in combat, triggering your things as necessary, build out your board, build out your hand, build out your presence, eventually take over. But when you look at the commanders for most of those styles of decks, you see decks helmed by the likes of Godo Bandit Warlord, Akiri Lineslinger, and these are very obviously looking to close the game with commander damage over one or multiple combat steps because Helm of the Host is a hell of a card where you just make get to make a copy of a creature. It is non-legendary. It has haste. So you make a copy of Godo and you get another combat step and you get another combat step. And the same thing with Akiri Alliance Slinger. Now, this isn't to say that all decks making use of Hammer of Nizan are looking to combo kill, but by the numbers, that's pretty much the case. Under those, though, when you look at when you start taking a look at the decks below the combo kill decks, the, uh, like those decks are just looking to put in some honest work and accrue value over time. Decks helmed by Tetsuo, Imperial Champion. Kellen, the Fey-Blooded, and Balin, Wandering Knight, provoke a more low-key and casual play pattern. The abilities and combat triggers here are very modest, and they let you work outside the, like, got-a-combo-kill theme we see from other commanders. And yes, Tetsuo and Kellen can combo-kill because they can play Goto and Aki Battle Squad as the hidden commanders in these decks because their color identity is red. But setting that aside... They are much more honest if you aren't being single-minded about what you're trying to do, which is basically the aggregate deck. They're not these these decks that I'm describing right now. They're not single-minded. They just want to play a game of Magic where they put a lot of hats and pants on things, and just try and rinse you that way. But because the appeal of Hammer spans the gamut from competitive non-CDH decks, sliding all the way past the decks I just discussed down into the casual cats and hats deck we still see people playing there'll be a home for this card now and for forever from a timeline perspective this thing is slow and steady and i'll bring up the stocks graph again so we can take a look at this you know we've been seeing steady growth after the commander masters reprint and that's really really promising like this shows an organic trend that means sustainable long-term growth. It's something we do talk about from time to time, and it's fantastic to see. Now, this does only sell about 10 copies a day between Nearman and LP. Uh, we might actually sell out of the 244 total copies within the month. That is very possible, though the 244 is all copies across all conditions, including foils. It stands that this could be a pretty quick turn uh, turnaround back into the open market if we did want to pick it up. We can just 
buying at eight, relist at 12. And that's a viable strategy here. Once the first 80 or so copies move, the cheapest version becomes set foils at $10. And from there, it's a mix of conditions all the way up to $15. And when I say set, I mean um, C17. Now, do I think we'll be able to turn these around for a double up if we buy in at eight? Yes, but not as soon as the numbers show. I think there's going to be a bit of a market correction in terms of foil pricing, and we should be able to exit at or a bit above 10 pretty easily. And I think 12 is an easy number to get to based on the trends we're seeing from the CMM and the C17 versions of this card. When it comes to buy lists, I don't think we'll be able to exit to buy lists until late 2024 based on the lag I've been seeing between the open market and buy list. There would have to be a continued run on CK's inventory to get them to flash the buy price up towards TCG player market, and I don't see that happening when they seem to be able to churn these at their current percentages, which is just like 30-35% buy price off their retail. People are just willing to send this card in for that little when they could just be listing it on TCG player for like an easy double up in comparison. Now, reprint equity. In the six years we have had access to this card, it's eaten two reprints in Master Sets, the first time in Double Masters and the second time in Commander Masters. At this point, I would expect to see a reprint in each Commander-themed Master Set that has an Equipment sub-theme in it. Why not? And that is vague, absolutely, but this isn't iconic enough to get a reprint in every Commander-themed Master Set. It has to be in the Equipment-based one. Like you can't, you can't just throw Hammer of Nizan and not support it with a bunch of other equipment. Like Lightning Greaves and Surefoot Boots, cool, whatever. But Batter Skull Cauldra complete the swords better because you have that trigger that actually makes it useful. You want to help people save mana on this and make this one of the flagship <clears throat> cards for that deck. Well, then you got to give him the support for it to make it the flagship cards. Now, buy quantity. I've got one of these from the C17 Cats deck and at least one from CMM. As my locals don't really play equipment-based decks, I'd pick up eight or so to sit on and move them to buy list when I can. If my locals did pay, play equipment-based decks, I'd probably pick up closer to 12 to trade some out in the, coming, in the coming weeks to months, and then the rest to sit on to move in time because I think this card is just going to continue to grow like I've been talking about. And then the last thing I want to say before I cut out is, so I picked this card well before we knew anything about raining cats and dogs. But I do want to talk about the cats and hats. And okay. it is a marvel that people still play the C-17 deck, the Arabo Helmed deck, basically yeah. as is. But that deck is going to get a shot in the arm with raining cats and dogs. That secret layer deck, it's going to do a yep. lot for this theme because it's going to be reprinting a few of the cats seen in that style of deck that weren't in the C17 deck. There are a lot of really good options. Uh, not Lone Lion, but the one from Theros that has Monstrous, it costs a green. It's a, a better watch wolf. Fleece Mane. Fleece Mane Lion. Yeah. Becomes monstrous, which is in, means it's indestructible. And I think it has hexproof. It's very difficult yeah. to deal indestructible with. Indestructible hexproof. While that Five is eyes. not in Raining Cats and Dogs, People can people will pick up that secret layer, go look at the deck, and we see like these ancillary pieces in there. It gets people kind of interested and churning in this. Yeah. And while Hammer doesn't fit into the idea of the secret layer deck initially, 
The Alt-Art White, Green, and Selesnya Cats might be decent looks overall as a spec for people that are already playing the Cats and Hats theme deck that came out in C16 because they're new Alt-Arts for that deck for cards that do not have Alt-Arts already. This is effectively the third, I think, Secret Layer Cats, um, but I can't remember if the second one has any cats that would go in this deck. There's like the Violent Outburst, Lord Wind Grace, whatever. So yeah. Player has cat, it's like four or five cards that have cats cats on them, but none of them are like the playable cats you would see here. Yeah. So there's this weird kind of value rub where Raining Cats and Dogs wants to go wide. Think of it like a tokens deck, so Hammer of Nizan doesn't fit in there. But those singles, the, the White, the Green, the Celestia Cats with alt arts, go to the people that are playing the cats and hats style deck because they want the alt art. They want the foil. They want the flip. So this is kind of a two way street where we might see hammer and design pop because, Hey, I've got a bunch of new cards to pick up. Why don't I go get what I'm missing or go get my foils, what have you. So there's this possibility of just a little push of hammer because of that deck to the people that are playing cats and hats. And then there's also the possibility that if you can find these singles in the open market once they hit in a week or two, buying them and holding them or flipping them to people or to flip to people that are playing this Cats and Hats stuff is also a really good look. I don't think this is quite what like we talk about every now and again, which is just you look at this pick and there are a bunch of other cards that just kind of fall in line with it. Yeah. So take a look at all of them because... This is just kind of like tangentially related because the Venn diagram of people that play cats and hats is not quite a perfect circle, but it's close enough. It is. Uh, I I love cards like this because one, like you said, I it fits a casual theme, cats and hats. Uh, I also love it because the fact that it emphasizes the combat stuff and is color agnostic is huge for its playability and liquidity. And it's something that has eaten multiple reprints before. Uh, So like you said, not too worried about that, but it's something that will always appeal to casual and competitive because the combat step matters in both of those. And those are always the best EDH specs when you can just hit all of the audiences with one card. Yep. I thought this might actually have seen played in CEDH and I only have like one reference for those deck lists, but only because of that trigger. Yeah. This makes all the equipment free after that. Yeah, sure, cool, because Godo is a CEDH deck. Yep. It is red, which means you can't play Sigarda's Aid, and you can't play Pure Steel Paladin. You have Hammer of Nizan and Brass Squire, and that's about it to yep. do equipment shenanigans. And I was very surprised. So I had to word that sentence really oddly. It's like competitive yeah. non-CEDH decks. Yep. All the way you're, down. You're 75 percenters or whatever the hell they're yeah, called yeah, now. Yeah. I don't know anymore. Yeah, you're 8 out of 10s. <laughs> yeah. Me, on the other hand, uh, mine this week is a market call-out, and it's counter to a narrative that we ourselves have been delivering for a while, and that is that there are no such thing as good sealed product to sit on anymore. Uh, so my, I've got three, th- three sets that I'm pointing out here. The Brothers War, their Collector Boosters, Forgotten Realms, their Collector Boosters, and Commander Masters. You guessed it, Collective their Collector Boosters. boosters. So if we start on Brothers War, we can take a look at the TCG market price history. And why we have to go here is because Stocks doesn't have a good way to look up sealed, and Scryfall also does not have a good way to look up sealed. So 
Uh, if you look back in late December, we basically hit our floor on this product, and it's been steadily creeping up since. Now, this was what started it all. This was where serialized cards came from. It's never going to be as good as this. The first time one of these got opened, it was amazing. And I thought, all right, let me take a look at something else. So I went to Forgotten Realms, and wouldn't you know it, in late December, we hit our all-time floor, and it has been gradually creeping up since. Now, the reason that one is relevant is because that did not have serialized cards in it. It was a standard print run set, same as Brothers War, yep. but we can see that this trend isn't exclusively related to the serialized cards within the set. Quick question about AFR. Yeah. The ampersand promos came from yeah. where? Uh, being a premium store. Okay. So that's the yeah. Tiamat and all that other stuff. Okay. Yeah. That was basically, if you were a premium store, you got those to give out as you chose. And most people just sold them because they were worth so much money. Yes. Okay. Um, so the third thing, because, you know, two isn't really indicative of a trend or a pattern, was Commander Masters. And the reason I picked this one is because this is basically the most liquid set that Wizards has produced in the last two, three years. Now, this is where things got interesting. We didn't hit our bottom in late December. We hit our bottom about 10 days prior to this recording. Yeah. But guess what's happened since? It's just recovered up. So the really interesting thing about all of this is that it indicates to me, okay, there can be such a thing as a reasonable or decent sealed spec, even granted what today's print runs are going for. Now, all three of these examples, AFR, you have a pretty popular license, but you don't have serialized cards. Brothers War is serialized cards it's the first one commander oh, masters yeah. yeah commander masters is a master set for the most popular format that wizards of the coast has and to see this pattern consist across all three of them indicates to me that okay there is something to this potentially so i figured you know what let's go ahead and choose that as a pick and the way this all came about was literally i was at the dallas card show last weekend and there was a sports card vendor selling brothers war collector boxes and I was like, 220, that seems a little high. No, that's just the show bump. They're like 200, which is still well above what I thought they were. Yeah. So it was just very interesting to see. And it's one of those things that I think doesn't get talked about very often because the narrative, and it's one that we ourselves have helped deliver, is that, hey, Sealed is a bad investment right now. It's just bad. It'll always be bad. And frankly, I'm not saying it's a good investment. But I'm saying that you may want to pay attention to this because as these sealed prices rise, the singles prices for these sets are going to start going up too. Yeah. Prime example is Aftermath. Uh, Frillback, the dinosaur that you pay an extra green to choose one, okay. that price started going up and so did the sealed product because people were cracking it for that. And mm -hmm. we've got the same thing going on here where sealed product is going up and the singles prices aren't necessarily following yet but they probably will be before too long. So I wanted to call it out. No, it's a, it's a nice look, and it also goes to show that Sealed has a shelf life at its at its a uh, at its high at its high price. Yeah. And we might not be on the five year cycle that it used to be for the kind of casual collector of Sealed. We might be on something a little shorter or a little longer. Yep. But the due diligence paid. If you are somebody who wants to speculate on sing on sealed or buy sealed even at its cheapest, kind of goes to show that you wait long enough, maybe a year and change, you can start seeing the down the yep. downtrend. 
And even in the case of AFR, where it just looks like it bounces back very quickly, there's still an opportunity to buy in shortly after it reaches its floor. Yeah. And you will see be able to see a recovery point in there. It might not be the price you want it to be initially. Um, AFR stays a little low. Commander Master seems to be bouncing back pretty well. And Brothers Wars, I think, probably the best recovering after it's, like, sheer drop. Yeah. Uh, but it, it, bear, it bears out the point that sealed speculation is possible in the environment we we have in front of us which means that once we move over to play boosters and collector boosters there's the opportunity to continue to do this in the future as well yeah and you might even be able to move in on play boosters instead of just collector boosters right now with the way things are it's been difficult to figure out what if any one of those three products is the best yeah, because when you had ridiculous stuff on the list like caverns before the recent reprint or ancient tomb, then sometimes the set boosters were the way to go because of the list cards, the opportunity for that. Yeah. Now we we see pretty clearly that CBs for some sets are the way to go, and honestly, I think that's pretty nice. I haven't picked up sealed at all in the last couple of years, be- aside from Dom remastered for the lottery tickets. The Legends yeah. Lottery, right? But I think knowing that when even when there's not necessarily a lottery ticket included, AFR, basically, yeah. the DLC yeah. returns on this, then it means we're in a, a, a decent spot, maybe a healthy spot for Sealed. Yeah. And I, and I think that's the thing that was really telling to me was seeing a set like Forgotten Realms, which was universally reviled. Yes in terms of you know sales when it came out and to see it stick true there as well was what made me think you know what maybe i you know i'll use a pick on this this week because that's a pretty unique thing to have happened recently yep yep so i i like this as as a market call out overall i think it's good to remind people what seal does yeah yeah uh so unless you've got anything else i think that'll be it for this week Right. That's it. All right. So for at, at MTG Cabalcast on Twitter, Facebook, Patreon, and YouTube, I am at Halt. I am Reptar. You are at Damon underscore Thurston. And we'll see you next week.